You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. You turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Um, Colossians chapter 1 is where we find ourselves and uh, we're so glad that you guys are spending your time with us on this uh, beautiful Sunday morning. And so of all the places you could be, of all the places you're spending your time, you're, you're here with us. And so I just want to say a special welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. If you're visiting for the first time, um, we're equally glad and excited that you are here. And if you're kind of checking churches out, not sure you heard about Shore Break or you kind of strolled in here and you're trying to figure out what Showbreak is all about. There's not a better Sunday you can be here to know what we're all about because of what we're going to be looking at in the book of Colossians. Um, it is explicit, it is blunt, it is powerful, and it is altogether life-transforming. And so um, it's been a blessing to me, and I pray that uh, Colossians 1 uh, has been and would continue to be a blessing to um, you. And so uh, hopefully you're making your way to uh, Colossians chapter 1. Um, we've called our series through Colossians, Christ and Everything, because that is exactly what Paul, who is the author of the book of Colossians, is revealing to us, is exposing to us, is that Christ Jesus is in everything, that there isn't anywhere we can escape his presence. There isn't anywhere we, we can go where Christ is not because he is everywhere. Even David said in the Psalms, if I lay to rest in Sheol, Lord, you are there. So there's nowhere we can escape where God is, that God is everywhere, that Jesus is in fact in everything. And that's exactly what we looked at last week if you weren't here. Um, we know that Christ is in everything, for by him all things were created, verse 16, and in him, in heaven and on earth. So everything is created by Jesus, and everything is created for Jesus. So we aren't some unicorn, we aren't someone super special, that there's no one like us, we're not like a snowflake, and we're not like a blessing to God. That's not the case, because God needs no one, yet God chose in his great love and mercy to create mankind, to extend his glory with creation, including sinful man like us. We also know from, from uh, Colossians 1.15 that he is, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what Jesus loved, want to know what God loves, well, what does Jesus love? If you want to know what, what, where God's heart is on reaching lost people, well, well, how did Jesus reach lost people? If you want to know anything about the character of God, if you want to understand and behold anything about God, you don't have to look anywhere except for Jesus because Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. You need to look nowhere else. So with all that said, we now approach Colossians chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 15, even though we're going to really just be focusing on only four verses this morning to make sure we understand the context of where we're at. So let's all stand for the reading of the Word of God. Our focus will be on verses 17 to verses 20, but we're going to pick it up in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the image, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether the earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And Jesus, we come to you this morning understanding that, God, you have in fact created everything, that there is nothing in this created world and universe that you have not put your fingerprint upon. That we cannot escape your presence, that we cannot run from you but that you are in fact everywhere. And God, that all things exist and are created for your glory. And Jesus, thank you that you are preeminent. Thank you that you are to be in a place above all, exalted beyond anything that, we, that could be competing in our lives. So Jesus, you are above sin. You are above sorrow. You are above suffering. You are above success, God. You are above all of these things. And so we seek this morning you. We want to see you lifted high. We want to see you exalted. God, we decrease so that you would increase. So Holy Spirit, help us to behold who Jesus is. Help us to set aside anything in our life right now that we've brought with us to church this morning. Things that we've worshipped, things that we've placed above you, God. For God, we know that you want to rid us of anything in our life that does not glorify you. And so through Colossians, through our message this morning. God, would you help me to be faithful to what you say? And would you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying? And if there are those this morning who do not have you as preeminent, who have wandered or altogether who do not know you, Holy Spirit, do the work that you can do in transforming lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 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 You guys can take a seat. I've been waiting to teach this message um, for a while now, Um, this specific text that we have here in Colossians that we've just read over is one of my favorite in, in all of scripture. And God has been using this to really etch out and remove the things in my life that do not glorify God. And I would expect the Holy Spirit through the word of God to do the very same for you. Um, as we are going to make our way and work our way through Colossians, know this, this message is for me probably more than for anyone else. It has been wrecking me afresh, transforming me as I've been just reading the text this week. It is absolutely transforming in the way that I think about who God is and, 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 and my understandings of him. And that really began last week. And so, um, it has been our prayer that, that you would be impacted by it. 
Because where Paul is taking us in the text today, there is arguably no greater text in all of the Bible that lifts up the name of Jesus, that makes the name of Jesus as big, as transforming, as incomparable to any other place in all of Scripture. It is explicit in who God is, and it makes no apologies how loud the gospel of Jesus and the image of the invisible God is to be declared. We know that all things were created by him and for him. Everything in creation. Before we get into the main theme of the text this morning, I wanted you guys to draw your attention to um, verse 18, the beginning of verse 18. Talking about preeminence, talking about how Jesus is above all things. We know that Jesus is above all creation. And within creation, Jesus is above all dominions or rulers or authorities, verse 16. But those are not the only things that Jesus is in charge of. Those are not the exclusive things that Jesus is supreme over. For verse 18, the beginning, we read this. And he is the head. Of the body, the church. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the head of it. He is not the foot. He is not a part of it. He's not an add-on to it. He is the head of the church. And so right off the bat, without going any further, we know that what, Je- what is being declared here by Paul about Jesus and about the church, that there is one kingdom, there is one savior, there is one king, and there is one church. There's one church. And I am so grateful of what God has, has done through uh, Shorebreak. Um, the stories that we have heard of, of lives being changed and, and being able to baptize people and just sitting down with some of you and, and, and some of our other leadership to being able to sit down and hearing your stories have been absolutely incredible. Um, you know, there, there were those of you, uh, you, would, you know, we've, I've talked to you, you've never been to church until you've, you've come to Shorebreak by the grace of God. In fact, some of you, the, the last time you were in this theater was, uh, I, some of you, you've told me that was when you're smoking a joint in the back of the church watching a Freddy Krueger movie in this theater. Like, that is incredible. Like, to me, that just, that, those things excite me. I think that's awesome. Freddy Krueger, Fr- Freddy Krueger, not so much. Jesus, yes. I think that's incredible to see what Jesus has done. But all that to say, there is a lot to be excited about, about what Jesus is doing in Shorebreak Church. But Shorebreak Church is not the church. It is part of the body of Christ, of which Christ is the head. But let me just say this, as excited as I am, and there is no other place I'd rather be than in Kona, preaching the word of God and sharing life with you guys in this church. Just so you know. However, Shorebreak is not the only church in Kona that is doing what we're doing. It's not. There are other churches in Kona. And, and, and we are collectively the body of Christ. 
It's not exclusive to just shore break. And, 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 and that's why my wife and I, we, we often pray for the other churches on this island because we don't just pray that we would see revival break out as it once did with Titus Cohen where the islands believed in the name of Jesus where, where, where this island was the most Christian nation on earth at one time. We don't just pray that we would see that revival come to shore break, but we pray that revival would come to all of the churches that are faithful to Scripture. Because it's not about us. Shore break is, is just a name. It's just a label. You guys are shore break. You, you are collectively the body of Christ, and we are all part of the church. Now, I don't use church loosely. When I say churches that are part of the church, the qualification, I would say, is that they hold to the inherency of Scripture. You've got to believe that the Word of God is the Word of God. That they believe in the Trinitarian doctrine. If you do not believe in the Trinitarian doctrine, you were not a Christian. The Trinitarian doctrine of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is foundational to our Christian faith. Uh, not just the Trinitarian doctrine, but the supremacy of Christ. That he is above all things. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if that is, the, the, is, that, if that is in fact the case, then that means, guess what? That then, then we're part of the church, the collective body of Christ. Because all believers, every soul that has been forgiven by Christ was purchased by the blood of Christ. So we are all Jesuses if we are purchased by the blood of Christ. We are the church. So we have here in verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. Now what we mean by church is not we're two or more gathered. Now that's weird because a lot of Christians say, you know, we're two or more gathered, there he is in our midst. Like we said earlier, there's nowhere escape. We, there's no way we can escape the presence of God. God is everywhere. And that verse is often taken out of context. And so what, you'll get a couple of people together in a home and be like, this is church. Well, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Or, you know, get a couple dudes in a bar over some drinks. Man, we're, we're doing church right now. Jesus, this is for you. Is it really? We're two more gathered. Not so sure because in Matthew 18, where two or more are gathered or where, and that, where Jesus says, I'm there in the midst. Did you know that the context of that is in church discipline? That where two or more are gathered, they're fighting for a brother's repentance, fighting to see a brother come to Christ. Christ is there, but that doesn't mean that where two or more gathered. All right, well, then guess what? Jesus is there. That, that's taken out of context. That is not a church. Because there are a lot of people, I got my home church thing and I got this church thing. I would be very careful. What we mean by church, and I believe what Paul means by church in verse 18 is first, a community of regenerate souls who gather with qualified leadership. Where's the biblical basis for that? Acts. Read the book of Acts. Disciples of Jesus Christ, apostles called by the will of God to declare the gospel. And as the gospel is declared, you have regenerate souls being coming more like Jesus. People being shaped and transformed into the image of God. And so that is first what makes the church is people, regenerate Christians, corporately getting together. 
And in addition to that, I would say qualified leadership. Qualified leadership. First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, Peter, Ephesians. These are the texts that say, you know, if you see me out on the back on a Friday night chugging a couple of Jack Daniels, you should be worried about me. I probably shouldn't be doing what I'm doing because I would be unqualified. There are qualifications in now, of course, no one's perfect, nor am I perfect, but that is what first marks the church, a community of regenerate souls who gathered under qualified leadership. Second, the preaching of the word. The declaration of what God has said. And there are some churches where it's like, all right, open mic, whoever wants to go up, everyone has a word, everyone has a say. That is part of the church, but you know what that's called? Fellowship. But that is not, that is not what marks the church. The church was birthed through the declaration of the word of God. Notice that. The preaching of the word of God is one of the markings of a church. Communion. Taking of the Lord's Supper. Remembering what Christ has done. Baptism. Church should be seeing salvation. Having new converts. Seeing people baptized. Identifying with Christ. The church should be unified by the Holy Spirit of God to be on mission. And there is this stick it to the man, rebel against the church mentality. Now some churches should be rebelled against, okay? But would they really be churches then if they didn't? No, they wouldn't be. They'd be just social religious gatherings. But there's this rebel against the corporate worship of the church as though somehow it's a bad thing, but Jesus would say otherwise. Jesus bought the church. He died for the church. He loves the church. And this, what is happening this morning, is no accident. This is God doing this. And this is why we read here that he is the head of the church. Jesus is the head. The apostle Peter said that he, Jesus was the chief shepherd. Chief shepherd. So isn't that interesting that Jesus is the chief shepherd? Because Jesus said, Peter, upon the confession of who you said I am about Jesus Christ, I will build my church. But Peter's like, no, no, okay, great confession, yes. But Jesus, you are the chief shepherd. Jesus, you are in charge. Jesus, you are the senior pastor. And this is why in our organizational flow chart, which, believe it or not, we actually have one now. One of our pastors, Toby, is developing a flow chart of organization. But even within our own bylaws as a church, our own bylaws as a church, I am not the senior pastor of Shorebreak Church. And I will never hold that title because that title is reserved for Jesus. Jesus is the senior pastor of our church, and our bylaws declare that. It's not about me. Like, I don't call the shots and then... It's my way or the highway. That's not how this church operates. In fact, I am held accountable by two other executive pastors, Pastor Leo and Pastor Toby, who have all the authority that I have. And I will tell you, they don't agree with everything I say, nor do I agree with everything they say. So we have oftentimes disagreed, and I've submitted to their requests of leadership, even of me, and likewise of them. Because... (laughs) What happens is when you get one guy running the whole thing, it be, it, it, I'm not, I've got to be careful. It can, become a, it can become a dictatorship. But I can be fired by the church that I was part of planting. 
I can be fired by the organization. And that's a good thing because that is how it should be. I'm a sinful man just like anyone else. We are to be held accountable because Jesus is the head of the church and no man is the head of the church. No man is. And all this to say, let us never get seduced into building our little shorebreak kingdom, forgetting about the kingdom of God. Let shorebreak be all about the name and the renown of Jesus Christ and not just focusing on, let us just build our little kingdom and we'll keep all of our little people. In fact, I've had conversations with people, I'm not sure this church is for me. And I've suggested people, if you're not sure, I've told people, well, well, what are the reasons? And after they've shared with me some of the things that they're just not sure, I said, you know, this might be a better church for you to go to. No kidding. I've referred people to other churches. Why? It's not my kingdom. It's not my thing. I'm just a servant. I'm, just a de- I'm like the pizza delivery boy every Sunday morning. It's not about any one of us. It is all about Jesus because he is the chief shepherd. He is the head of the body, the church. Okay, so now that we've cleared that up, let's draw our attention to the, the anthem, really, of all of Scripture, not just Colossians, but all of Scripture. Verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. No other statement in all of Scripture shouts the supremacy of Christ as verse 17 does. Jesus is the center of everything. So much so is Jesus the center of everything that everything is being held together because Jesus is in everything and Jesus is above all things. In fact, I've had conversations with my kids because we've talked about this. My kids are growing in knowledge and understanding about this. Um, So I'm like, hey, boys, um, so Jesus holds everything together. And so they're like, okay, so uh, what if he lets go? That's what happens. I, I like, that's great because... Even life itself is sustained by Christ. He holds everything together. He is in everything. Yet there are those who call themselves Christians. Who confess with their mouth. Outwardly that Jesus is Lord. But their life would say otherwise that Christ is in everything. There are those who live as Christian atheists. Where they might say Jesus is real and they believe in him, but then you look at their life and they live as though he's dead. Because we got our stuff. We collect our paycheck. We have our friends. We have our things that make us comfortable in our life. Life is in rhythm and things, things seem to be going incredibly smooth and we live as though God isn't alive. And unless something drastic happens in our life, we're not calling upon his name. We view God more as a 911 service. When we need him, we call 911 and God's like, oh, hey, what's up? I've been waiting to talk to you, actually. We aren't talking to him in prayer. We aren't leaning 
into him through the word of God, only calling upon God when tragedy knocks on our door because we're comfortable. And this is the apathy Paul is waging war against in Colossians. They've gotten comfortable. There are Christians in the church at Colossae who had put in their hope in Rome because Rome was pretty self-sustaining. Things are going pretty smooth at this time in Rome. And Paul says, no, Christian, no. Christian in Colossae and Christian today at Shorebreak and Christians at large, no. Jesus is not a footnote. Jesus is not something you have on this side of your life. Jesus is not an appetizer. Jesus is not something we add on to our already put together lives that seem to be running pretty well. Like, man, my life is going pretty good. Yeah, maybe Jesus will just ask, slap a little bit of you on the side for a little bit of extra flavoring and see how that works out. Jesus has no place to be second in our lives because Jesus is in everything. Because verse 17 says he's before all things and in him all things hold together. Some things, no, 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 no. All things hold together in and through Jesus. And I think a majority of us would say we like Jesus. I mean, we're here Sunday morning. We probably are cool with the idea of Jesus. Maybe you're not because your friend dragged you here or whatever. We're glad you're here. But we're cool with Jesus. We like the idea of Jesus. We don't mind Jesus. But what often happens in our life is we try to tame the lion of the tribe of Judah. We try to put a muzzle on his roar. We try to declaw Jesus. We try to censor Jesus and we apologize for the statements that he says. And we are embarrassed by the claim of his exclusivity of him being God and that he is the only way. And oftentimes what we do is we try to block out and censor Jesus from certain areas of our life because we are ashamed of them. And we don't want his glory to be exposed to them because we know we're sinful and we know that area in our life needs to be repented of. So we try to tame Jesus. We live as Christian atheists, pretending as though we confess him with our mouth, but that somehow God doesn't see those things. But somehow we think we could tame the one who holds all things together. But I do it all the time in my life. Can't help but think of Israel. God's chosen people, delivered from Egypt, saw things today that would just blow our minds and seeing God's grace and redemption and mercy of drawing them out of Egypt and bringing them into the promised land. Yet, God's people, what was their status? Well, things weren't going well. So God called a young prophet named Jeremiah out of the ashes to declare truths of what God was going to do. God's judgment upon Israel and where they were going. And the condition of their life. Now mind you, this is God's chosen people. Like God's chosen people, Israel. Jeremiah 2, 12 says this. You can turn there later. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. 
For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So the Israelites knew God. They had drinking deeply from the well that God had of water that will never make you thirst again. They're God's chosen people and they like the idea of God. Yet it was not God that they were living for. They were digging out for themselves their own pools and their pools leaked and their pools were broken. Their cisterns could not hold water. Yet they had this well over here that they could drink deeply from Jesus. But like now, I'm, I'm okay. Because for them, God was a footnote. For them, God was a means to serve their own needs. He was secondary in their life. And similar to Israel is our own life today. Similar to Israel was exactly what the Colossians were going through. They had forsaken God, the fountain of living waters. So what is happening within this letter, Colossians, Paul, he's dealing with synced belief systems, borrowing different ideas from different religions, syncing them together, and the term is just called syncretism, taking all these different beliefs and, and syncretism. Now, notice this, again, he is writing to God's people. So to think in here, you know, like we, we may be really mature in Christ, or maybe we've walked with him for a long time, or we're just, we're, we're, this is no one is void of being distracted from Jesus, from, from building their own cisterns and leaving and forsaking the, the well of, of water. Paul, look at verse 2. What does he say? To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. He's writing to saints. Paul is writing to Christians. He is writing to those who are faithful in Christ. But what was happening then is people would say, yeah, I'm cool with Jesus. Jesus is still my boy. He's still my man. He's still my God. He, I mean, he, me and Jesus are cool, but I like this too. Now, the time, it's important to know, the time Paul is writing this is in 60 to 62 AD. And Colossae was a cultural hub. So people could travel from around the, the world, really, because all roads lead to Rome and and there's 50,000 miles of these roads that could be traveled. And so um, there at Colossae, religion, beliefs, all these different things could be imported and exported, much like the internet today. You want to learn anything about anything, just go to Google and you can find it. And that's kind of how it was then, that in Colossae, people, there was this melting pot of all these different beliefs that were trying to be synced together. And all these different religious views and worldviews were vying to and trying to fight their way to the top. So people would say, well, I'm down with Jesus. I like Jesus. But man, have you seen those mystics? Have you seen what the mystics do? They're just so spiritual. So I got my Jesus over here, but I'm going to borrow some of their spiritualism because they do seem far more spiritual than I am. And maybe if I take some of those things and then add them on to my relationship with Jesus, then maybe spiritual fullness I I can finally have. They say, yeah, Jesus is still my man. Jesus is still my king. But Caesar's not doing a bad job right now. 
He's doing pretty good. And at 60 AD, they were, things were kind of flowing smooth. They were, they were pretty comfortable at the time because some had actually put their hope in Rome. So yes, Jesus is king, but I mean, I got Caesar too. People would say, yeah, I like Jesus. I'm cool with Jesus. But man, Judaism is so close to Christianity. So let's just implement some of the things of the law, even though Christ came and he fulfilled the law for us. Let us begin to borrow some of these old things that were done. And then maybe by living back under the law again in some subtle ways, maybe then, maybe then we will grow closer in wholeness, spiritual wholeness. And in doing this, when we do this, something very subtle happens in our soul. Jesus becomes a footnote, a means to serve our own needs. For the Colossians, they were being subtly, Jesus was becoming subtly second in their life. And how often does Jesus become subtly second in our life? We are cool with Jesus, but Jesus plus these other things will make me whole. And so this is what Paul is battling here in Colossians. Paul is fighting for you and me because he loves us. And I'm fighting for for our church as well because I love you guys fighting against this gospel complacency. Because this is what was going on then and this is what is happening today. I'm not naive to think that all of us, including my own life, is perfectly centered upon Christ right now. What has happened is we've become bored with the gospel. The moment we talk about the gospel, it's like, shut the Bible. This is for the non-believer. All, the re- the, all while missing the complete point of the gospel in the first place. Because what has happened today is we've been conditioned to think, let me learn some spiritual principles, and then at the end of the sermon, give me the gospel, and then I can close my Bible because that's for the non-believers. But Paul would completely disagree with all of us who think that because in 1 Corinthians 15, you can read at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15 later, that the gospel is the power unto salvation which is continuously saving you and me. That we can never leave the gospel. We never move beyond past the gospel. And listen, there are a lot of things we can talk about. And this is so subtle because it's like, well, hey, yeah, let's talk about when is Jesus coming back. And let's talk about ecclesiology, secondary discussions. Because often we fight about those things and miss Jesus and we miss the gospel. Or we can kind of get trivial with some other things, even within Christianity. And we can miss Jesus in it all. We can get caught up in these things and miss Christ in the midst of Christianity. So we've become bored with the gospel. We have somehow become bored with the greatest news on earth. And we have lost our awe of God. That's why Jeremiah 2 says, Be appalled, O heavens. Be appalled. The difficult thing is, most of us don't even notice we're drifting. Many of us don't see the drift of our own souls happening. I was out at um, Pine Trees a couple months ago, and um, there was a swell filling in, so it was kind of getting a little bit bigger, and so I was paddling my, my little boy out and pushing him into some surf, but I was out there in the water with him. And, um, but as the swell was filling in, it was kind of turning up water in the bay, and um, so 
I noticed, so there was this dad standing like there on, on the shore, screaming at probably his five or six-year-old daughter. She's like out there paddling all on her own. She obviously has no idea, um, never seen the guy before, and, you know, and these people there. So I'm like, they're probably not from here. And, you know, and I know that one because a local boy would have been in there with his daughter taking care of her. But this guy, I have some choice words for him that I did say. Um, but he was there screaming at his daughter. Why can't you see you're drifting? Don't you see you're drifting into the rocks? And because you was on the shore, there's nothing you could do. But because I was in the water, I was like, all right, here, kids, go paddled over to her and pulled her out of the rocks. And the dad's like, girl, don't you see why you're drifting? And I was like, bro, you're not in the water. You wouldn't see the current anyways. So I'm never going to see the guy again. He's probably from, anyways, I'll stop. I, anyways. <laughs> Made me angry nonetheless. But she didn't even realize she was drifting. And especially when a swell picks up and you're out in the water, you might be paddling out. And before you know it, you're like, what, where am I? I've been dragged along because you're so caught at looking at other things and other surroundings. You don't even realize that you're drifting and you could be miles down the beach. And that is how subtle it is. And oftentimes we don't even realize we're drifting apart from the gospel until we end up on the reef or on the rocks of our own life of our own brokenness, of our own emptiness, and our own shame. And then we say, God, well, why am I on the rocks? Because you've drifted from me. You didn't even know it. God, why am I getting caught up? Well, it could be because you've forsaken me. And this is what Paul wants. Paul doesn't want you. Paul doesn't want me to drift from and apart from the gospel. This is why we must move further and deeper into what Christ has done for us. This is why we must be a gospel-focused, Jesus-centered people. We must build our lives on who Christ is because all of us are sinners, all of us sin, and all of us need help. There is not one of us this morning who are in here. There is not one soul in this building this morning, first service and second service, who does not need to be wrecked afresh by the gospel. So Jesus created all things. He's before all things. But just so you know this, Jesus didn't like create things, set creation into motion, and now creation is just kind of doing its thing Jesus is actively involved with creation. And likewise, Jesus didn't just save you with the gospel for then you to now move apart from the gospel to try to figure out things on your own. Jesus is not just before all things, but in him all things hold together. Meaning, your life is knit together and fused with Christ by the gospel. And that is how we can continuously be living our lives keeping our lives off of the rocks, if you will. Jesus never lets us go. Jesus loses no one. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. So the reason we live, the reason we have salvation, the reason we are kept, the reason we have our being is because Jesus holds all things together. So much so that verse 18, we read that he, is the first, that he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. What is that saying? 
That Jesus is so intricately involved in creation as creator that you can kill God. And guess what? He's going to rise again on the third day. Because he is in all things. He created it. All right, so what do we do? What do we do when we are subtly seduced from the gospel? Because it's hard to tell. Do we do these three disciplines? Check, check, check. Do we memorize a game plan that we have and we stick it on the magnet of our fridge? You're like, I'm going to stick this game plan. God, I'm never going to fail you. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. Do we have to somehow look within ourselves to stir up our own obedience in Christ within our own hearts so that we would never drift from the gospel again? What is Paul's artillery and waging war against gospel complacency? What are we to do when our soul slowly drifts from the one who saved us? Some of us are like, all right, give me the points, give me the points. What, what is it? No point. It's no point at all. Look at verse 18. He is the beginning of the bo- he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent. Jesus is to be preeminent. Jesus is to be above all things. No one comparable to Jesus. No one even close to Jesus. Nothing mixed within Jesus. Nothing added to Jesus. Just Jesus. Only Jesus. Purely Jesus. Always Jesus. Because it is always only about Jesus and his name and his renown. And we add nothing to him. That is how we remain centered upon the gospel with a preeminent focus upon who Christ is and upon what Christ has done. No checklist, no things you have to do, beholding who Christ is. And Paul said in Corinthians that when we behold the glory of Jesus, we are transformed into the image of Jesus. We become like Jesus. We grow in holiness. According to Paul, we fight our gospel delusion by not doing more things or looking within ourselves. No. We fight our drift by making Jesus preeminent in our life. It's not for the Colossians there or for Christians today. It is not Jesus plus success. It is not Jesus plus happiness. It is not Jesus plus some of these other borrowed ideas from other religions. It is not Jesus plus money. It is not Jesus plus having a spouse. Or if your marriage isn't going well, it's not Jesus plus not having a spouse. Minus, right? Jesus minus spouse. It is not Jesus plus anything because 
Jesus is not the means to an end. Jesus is the end. Jesus is our object of worship. Jesus is who we are to be consumed with. And if all we get in life is Jesus, we get all of life. And that is our anthem as a church. That is something we said from the beginning, and I will say it again. Listen, if all you get in life is Jesus, you get all of life. You have all there is to have in life because all you have in life is found in the life and the work and the redemption of Christ Jesus. And he says that in everything. He might be preeminent. So not just top of your life, nothing competing to him, but every part of your life. Because we're like, okay, Jesus, you're preeminent on Sunday, but when Friday comes along, you're not so preeminent. No, he wants to be preeminent in all areas, all avenues, all crevices deep within our heart. That in everything, he might be preeminent. I want you guys to see this how big this point is from verses 15 to verses 20. Eight times it is mentioned from verses 15 to 20. Eight times it is mentioned that Christ would have everything or that Christ is in everything. All or everything is mentioned eight times. So what does that mean? (laughs) Jesus wants everything. And if there is something or someone in your life you are willing to enjoy at the expense of disobeying Jesus. Let me say this again. I want you to get this. If there is something or someone in your life you are willing to enjoy at the expense of disobeying Jesus, that thing or that someone is preeminent. So, Just an example, the girl who says, I'm a Christian, or the guy even. Yeah, we're Christians, we love Jesus. But then they move in with each other. And she's there, and she's, I'm a Christian, I mean, I still believe in Jesus. No, I'm not saying she's not a Christian. that's, That's another conversation for another day. We're talking about preeminence right now. Is Jesus preeminent in her life when she's living with her boyfriend? She might say, yes, he is preeminent. Is Jesus my everything? Yes, I've had conversations with girls and guys on this. Yes, Jesus is preeminent. Yes, Jesus is my everything. Then you would care more about what Jesus says where you're at than what your boyfriend thinks about you and his approval or disapproval of you. Right? So the girl who lives with her boyfriend, Jesus is not preeminent because she fears about what her boyfriend thinks about her more than what God thinks about her. Drinking to the point of drunkenness or drug use. What about that? If drinking and drug use is preeminent in your life, to the point of drunkenness, feeling high, being buzzed or wasted is excusable instead of being sober-minded in Christ because that thing is preeminent in your life. If children... If family, if your spouse, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, Travis. I like to talk about all those evil things, but now you're talking about good things. Yes, I am talking about the good things because more often than not, the things that are preeminent in our life as Christians in the church setting are not wicked things, though they can be, but are more often than not 
good things that we make a God thing. And so when your children, when your spouse, or when family is preeminent in your life, you look to them to bring you longing, satisfaction, meaning, and purpose that they were never meant to bring to you, that you can only find in Jesus. See, it's not just bad things that are preeminent in our life. It is often good things that are preeminent in our life. But when Jesus is preeminent in our life is when our soul is most satisfied. Because in God, there is fullness of joy because in God, life exists. Look at verse 19, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. There is pleasure, there is, there is good things when, when you have a Trinitarian God glorifying one another and when we join in that glory, we can enjoy all of these things because he holds all things together. So when Jesus is preeminent is when our soul is most satisfied because he holds all things together. And in him, we can have life. Listen, Jesus is the source of all joy. Jesus is the source of all joy. And looking to anything or anyone else for that joy will leave you in the end, maybe not immediately, but in the end, feeling miserable. Now, here's the thing. I'm not beating on you right now, or me. Every one of us has turned aside to other things other than Jesus. Even this week with my own heart. Jesus being preeminent means Jesus doesn't just want some of you. He wants all of you. all of me the sin that no one else knows about the depression that you've been dealing with the sorrow that you have every morning when you wake up and you put your head down all the success that you maybe have enjoyed all the failures that you've racked up on your debt because Jesus is preeminent He wants all of you. He doesn't want you to clean yourself up and then come to him. He wants you just as you are. Jesus isn't waiting to love you more when you pull yourself together. He is holding all things together anyways, right? He loves you right now, right where you are at. So stop thinking, all right, God, later then you'll love me. No, no, today. Preeminence means Christ gets all of you. Leave nothing behind. Don't block off any dark crevice within your heart that you've hidden from him. He sees it anyways. Francis Schaeffer famously said this. If Christ is not Lord of all, Christ is not Lord at all. And this is what God does that God is pleased with his son, Jesus. That God is pleased 
to make a way for us. Look at verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. How All things, really all things? All things, including the earth. So even everything that is broken in creation. Did you know that the gospel doesn't just save human souls, though it does? That the gospel saves creation itself, like the cosmos. How big is that? Big, really, really, really big. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or, or whether in earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What does that mean? That in the blood of Jesus Christ, God has made a way. You don't have to make a way. You don't have to figure it out. You just behold who Jesus is. And when you behold who Jesus is, and when you set your sights on who he is, and when you behold his glory, and when he becomes preeminent, not of some things, but of everything in your life, you will experience joy that makes the world taste a bit more sour. Christian, I hope you realize, and non-believer, that your need for Jesus is evident. And Christian, I also hope you realize that your need for Jesus today is just as vital as the day you first believed. And this is what we say here at this church, and it is what we will continue to say. If all you get in life is Jesus, you get all Heavenly Father, mighty God, Prince of Peace, oh, how you have made a way for us that is more glorious than any way we could make for ourselves. You have paved a pathway through and by your blood that we can be washed clean of anything wicked, of anything sinful, or of anything good that we've made an idol in our life, and that we can be transformed by you. That we don't have to work on a checklist. That we need to do all of these things. But Jesus, oh, that we this morning would be, hold your glory, Holy Spirit, that you would help illuminate our hearts to who God is and that we would behold him and that we would be changed into his image and likeness so that we would bring you glory, so that we would receive so much joy and satisfaction in our life. God, you love us too deeply to let us continue on the path of letting other things be preeminent or of adding anything else to Jesus or altogether just denying you. And so if you are a person, you've come to church and you've realized that you've been digging for yourselves your own well and it's leaking and it's dry and it's left you thirsty, You have tasted the grace of God this morning. You, you, you have seen, in fact, that the Lord is good. Repent this morning from your sin. Repent from the way that you have lived your life and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and he will forgive you of all your sins. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you do that because apart from him, 
I can do nothing. God, for those of us who are Christians, including myself, who have so often add things to our life that should not be there, look to hope in areas where we will never find hope. Let us not beat ourselves up any longer. Because we are not under the law anymore, but we are under the law of the Spirit, which is grace through Christ Jesus. Christian, if that is you, ask the Holy Spirit to show you more of Jesus. Behold the glory of God. Let Jesus be amplified in your life like never before. God, thank you that you extend love and grace to us even though we don't deserve any of it. God, I pray that you would just do such a work that no man could take credit for, but that only you can take credit for. Jesus, thank you that I don't have to be the source of salvation or weigh the weight of being the the senior pastor even of Shorebreak, but that you are leading this thing, that you are in charge of this thing. And that you would continue to advance and build your kingdom. And would Shorebreak be able to be a part of that by your grace? God, thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for all of my brothers and sisters, the, the family, the ohana that we have here. Knit our souls together. May we be mutually encouraged in the faith today, this week, until you come again to judge the living and the dead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.